Welcome to Connection Church's podcast. This week, Brandon Williams begins a new series entitled Going Mobile. Everything in the world is going mobile. Between cell phones, the internet, and an ever-expanding technology, anything is within reach. But why is the church the only thing not going mobile? Brandon asks a series of tough questions and explains some of the non-negotiables of this church. If we are doing the same thing and not seeing any results, it's time to do something different. All right. Well, we're not going to preach about your cell phones today, I promise, okay? We're not going to tell you that cell phones are of the devil. But, but the thought of what we're, we're going into over the next um, four weeks is this, this whole emphasis that is in the world today of everything's going mobile, right? I mean, it's amazing, isn't it, how everything is going mobile. I, I was down in uh, Coral Springs, Florida doing a wedding, and I sent an email to my mom, and it got there like that off of my phone, and I was absolutely, I mean, it just amazes me still. I mean, when you, you're like me and, and you're an old man and, and you grow up when you didn't have cell phones, y'all, you can laugh, that was, that was a joke. Um, and you grow up where you didn't have cell phones and then now all of a sudden you can send email and check Facebook and, and, and all this Twitter, all this stuff. It still amazes me that we can do this and there's such an emphasis on it. It's like you can see this race uh, with, with like Verizon, thank you, um, Verizon and, and um um, iPhone and all these different things for who can be the best, who, you know, we're going mobile, we're doing all this stuff. And you kind of wait and you're like, what is coming next? And as we thought about that, as I prayed through that, I was like, well, listen, the whole world's going mobile, but, but what's wrong with the church, right? I mean, the gospel was never intended to be enclosed inside four walls, but most of the time that's what the church has become. Has it not? It's become somewhere where we all come and sit and we hear some guy talk and, and maybe it ministers to us, but very little happens outside the walls of the church. And so we're going to begin looking at this and we're going to begin looking at mobilizing the church. What I want to do to start this off is I want to read a scripture to you out of Matthew 28. I'm sure it's very familiar to you. Um, we're going to read it and then we're going to pray. I do want to give you a heads up on something so you can be preparing. The, these four messages, and I'll explain this a little more later. These four messages, I am preaching the first three. Okay, you are preaching the fourth. All right, so be studying your Bible, get your stuff together, because the fourth message, you're going to preach the fourth message. All right, so, so be ready. I'm just telling you, be ready. And somebody will get up and leave. Like, I'm not preaching. I can't stand. So, so Susan, come back. Don't, don't leave, Susan. That would be my wife. She hates getting in front of people and talking. But, but you're preaching the fourth. So let's read this scripture in Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 through 20. Uh, you've been around church long, you've probably heard it. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now listen, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for life. Thank you for your heart. Thank you for this word that we're about to hear, God. Um, God, as we read the scriptures, I pray that they would penetrate our hearts. I pray, God, that you would speak through me, Lord. I, I pray for, for boldness to speak truth. Pray for boldness to, to speak love. I pray for boldness for this church to not give in to the temptation of, of the tension of being pulled to one, one way or another, but God, we would keep our eyes focused forward. And that our vision would stay clear in our minds and our hearts, God. 
just have your way here right now as we begin to open your word and, and we begin to hear it. Lord, we love you and we thank you in the mighty and awesome name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, so the whole thought of cell phones. Listen, how many of you um, have, have ever had trouble with cell phones? Technology is great as long as technology works, right? But as soon as it quits working, it is the most frustrating thing ever. I know for me, on my way home, um, there's one spot I go through. And it's not like we live way, way, way out, but there's one place that I go through. If I'm on the phone, it drops the call every time. Every time it drops the call. And, and I get so frustrated with it. But it happens every time, over and over and over again. So isn't it kind of crazy to me for me to think that one day I'm going to ride through that spot and it's not going to drop the call, right? We've talked about this before, but the definition of insanity is what? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different outcome, expecting something different to happen, right? And so if I'm riding along and I keep doing the same thing over and over, it's going to continually drop my call. Another thing, and, and um, this person may be here today, but another time um, in one of my less mature moments, um, we had a little fun with somebody and we took their, their number one um, speed dial, which is usually for voicemail, right? And we changed it, the number to Papa John's. And so they would hit, she, see, she never knew that was us until just now. Her eyes got this big. Yes, Hope, that was, that was me. Um, and so we changed, we changed her voicemail speed dial to Papa John's. So every time she pushed number one, right, this is Papa John's. How can we help you? And so couldn't figure it out. It was so funny. And, and yeah, that was a, a mature moment. But, um, but it's true that we do things over and over again. We're going to get the same result. And, and we need to begin to change something. If the results aren't working for us, we need to change something, right? We need to do something different. And I was thinking about this. I was thinking about how in business, think of it, if businesses aren't making a profit, what do they do? Really, there's only one of two things. They either close the doors or they back up and go, well, we're doing something wrong. We better change something or we're not going to last very long. Well, think about this with the church. If any business was getting the return on the investment that the church is getting into what we're putting into the dollars and the time and everything else, if any business was having those results, we would change and do something different. Will we not? But the church keeps doing the same thing over and over and over again, and we continually get the same results. Listen, God did not put us here as Connection Church because Statesboro, Georgia needed another church. Right? Somebody told me Bullitt County has more churches per capita than any other county in the state of Georgia. I believe God put us here because there needs to be something different. Not that there's anything inherently wrong with the vision of other churches, but that's not what we're here for. We're gonna, we, need to, we need to keep some things very clear and why God started this church. And today we're going to talk about some of these things. Listen, last week it was fun and we were laughing and we were joking. If you're not uncomfortable when you leave here today, then I have failed miserably. So we'll go ahead and throw that out there because I believe that, that, that we've got to make ourselves uncomfortable. We've got to stretch ourselves to the limit. We've got to be willing to do things that have never been done before. Does it not make sense that if you're going to reach people who've never been reached, you might have to do some things that have never been done. And remember this now, last week I told you the context can change, but the message doesn't. The message does not change. It is Jesus and Jesus crucified. And I'm, I ask you to hear this whole message. Don't hear one thing and check out on me, but listen to the whole thing. I want to read to you to begin with John chapter 8. Are y'all excited? I'm, man, I know. Especially when I tell you we're going to be uncomfortable. I know you just got excited. 
and you're like, why did I come to this church today? But John chapter 8, verse 2, we're going to read through 11. And this is going to be our first point. I want to talk to you about some things that are non-negotiable at this church. Chapter 2, or verse 2 in chapter 8, the Gospel of John, it says, At dawn he appeared again, and this is meaning Jesus, in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who, who heard began to go away one at a time, the elder ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Our first non-negotiable is this. Listen, we will always be a church that extends a hand of grace to the sickest of the sick, the, 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 the most wretched of sinners. We will not discriminate between sin. We will always be a church that reaches out to the lowest of the low, regardless of your color, regardless of anything you have done, where you have been. We will love the most unlovable. If we don't, we need to shut the doors and go do something else. Amen? We need to shut the doors and go and do something else. Can you? Sometimes we read scriptures and, and we, we just read them like flat words on a flat page. I mean, that's what they are, right? But if you take them in and you put yourself in this situation, can you imagine the intensity of this situation? I mean, here this woman is. She was caught, it says, in the act of adultery. That means they just yanked this woman out of some guy's bed and drug her in front of Jesus, stood her there in front of everybody and says, Jesus, what are you going to do about this? This was an intense moment because by law, by, by the Jewish law, she should have been stoned. Go and look in Leviticus. It says very clearly, any woman that commits adultery with a neighbor, any man that commits adultery should be stoned and killed. Stoned and killed. And, and she's standing there before Jesus. One of the things that amazes me the most about this scripture is it's almost like you can just see Jesus standing there and everybody's freaking out. This girl had to be struggling, trying to get away. And here she is standing before Jesus and Jesus is just like, I got this. I, he, he wasn't biting his nails, right? He wasn't going, what do I do about this situation? How do I figure this out? And some of you, maybe today you need to hear this. You need to know that, that maybe you've been in some sin and you haven't gotten out of it and you're, you're struggling with it and it's killing you and it's eating you up inside. God is not in heaven biting his nails trying to figure out how he's going to bail you out of this situation. That's him right there. Answer it. <laughs> What did he say, Don? He said, oops. But, but, but seriously, God doesn't have an oops moment. God doesn't have an oops moment. So listen, whatever you're in, whatever you're going through, that kind of lightened it up, didn't it? That's, just, that's perfect. Thanks, Don. But whatever you're in and whatever you're going through, God is not trying to figure out what are we going to do. He's got this. Guys, listen, if we'll trust him, he's got it. Whatever you've done, wherever you've been, and some of you have been and done some things that you think, God, I could never be forgiven for, and yet Jesus says, I don't condemn you. 
I don't condemn you. But see, here's the thing in the church. That sounds good, doesn't it? Man, I like that. No matter what I've done, where I've been, God does not condemn He offers me grace. Woo, boy, that is good news. And I love that. But then when it comes to somebody else, what do we do? We look down our nose at them and we try to say, well, I didn't do what they did. Now, come on, I wasn't that bad. And we always find the person that did something worse than we did so that we can feel better about ourselves. And we love the grace that God offers us, but we don't want to offer it to anybody else because we try to place a hierarchy on sin. We try to place a hierarchy on things people have done and say, well, maybe I'm worth the grace of God. But they're not. And some of us actually turn that around even more and say, well, maybe they're worth the grace of God and I'm not. But it's so easy for us to to look at the grace of God and man, wow, yeah, that's good for this, but it's not for this. And so we take this this worldview that we have of some things are worse than others and we apply it to the gospel. And yet Jesus very clearly tells this woman he was caught in adultery that was deserving of death, go away. They don't condemn you, neither do I. You know what's cool about um, John 3.17? Everybody knows what John 3.16 says, but you know John 3.17 says that Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world. So if Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, why are you? Why are we? We want to look at different people and we want to label them. And listen, that's not what we're going to do. There's a, there's a, there's a thing that goes on with us where it sounds so good to say we're going to love the least of these. We're going to love people who aren't like us, the, the worst of sinners. We're going to love them. We don't care what they are. If they're in adultery, if they're, you know, if they're sleeping with their, their girlfriend, if they're homosexual, whatever it might be, we're going to love them. But then there comes a point when we come face to face with the ugliness of sin and we go, oh crap. What am I going to do now? I had a moment like this, and, and, and uh, you know, this may make you uncomfortable. It made me, 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 me. Um, it made me uncomfortable. I preached a message one time early on. It's probably a year ago. And, and I said, we're going to love the unlovable. We are going to love those that nobody else loves because that's what Jesus has called us to do. Um, a guy came up to me after the service. He said, I need to talk to you. I said, okay. So we set up an appointment. He came by, I think it was the next day. He sits down in my office and he said, listen, I'm gay. He said, I'm a homosexual. He said, but I'm trying to live for God. I got these these feelings and I don't know what to do with them. And he said, but I know that Jesus will help me. I know that Jesus will heal me and I'm trying to live for God. And he said, but what are you going to do? Because I've been in 30 churches in the last 15 or 20 years and I got hurt in every one of them and nobody wanted to help me. Nobody believed in me. I need to know if you're for real or else I've got to go somewhere else because I don't want to get hurt again. I'm sitting there looking at him. I'm like, if I would have had like an escape button, which if anybody... If anybody knows how to put one of those in, like right under my chair, um, where, where when somebody comes in and I just kind of get tired of talking to them and I'm kind of like this, I can just hit that button and it's like sucks me down and closes up and I just disappear. If I would have had that, I would have been like. <laughs> or if there was a door behind my chair where I could just like hit it and push and roll out, I'd have just been gone, man, right out into my truck and just whoop, down the road because it made me uncomfortable. But it brought me face to face with the reality that, listen, people, people's marriages are really falling apart. People are really living in a homosexual life. It is reality all around us. Had somebody tell me they couldn't bring their children here because of some of the people who come to church. And some of you are going, I wonder if that was me. 
because of, of the people who are here. And I'm like, are you serious? Are you serious? What do you think they're going to see out there? Because what I want my kids to see is the reality that Jesus is love and the power of the Holy Spirit can transform the worst of the worst and the least of the least and that it can bring them into a place where they are whole and complete, lacking nothing. If he can change my heart and he can change your heart, he can change anybody's heart. Listen, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. Because we're all in the same boat. Billy Graham is famous for saying, well, he's famous for saying a lot of things, but one of the things he said was that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. You're no better than anybody else. And this church will always extend the hand of grace, just as Jesus did to this woman who was caught in her sin. And we will always love the unlovable. And you've got to decide, people. I've got to decide. I had to face this early on. Am I willing to push past that point of comfort? Am I willing to do that? Am I willing to be, but to stretch myself? Because I want to tell you, the church is not good at stretching. We want to go to one side or the other. We don't want to be in the middle where we have to, to, to live by the spirit. We want it to be black and white, everything black and white so that we can just live and, and know, well, this is where we're at. And this is where, that's why we have denominations is so that I, people can go and they can say, well, I'm Methodist and we know exactly what they believe or I'm Pentecostal. We know exactly what they believe. The biggest question we get around here is what do y'all preach? I'm like, Jesus and him crucified, he died. I'm like, let me go get my four-year-old's recording from the other day and let you hear this. He he comes up here, he's like, Jesus died and rose again, he's still alive. I'm like, hey, that's the gospel. We preach the Bible. But because we we, we have to define ourselves in some way, well, we believe this, well, we believe that, we believe, how about if we believe Jesus and the power of his resurrection to redeem the worst of the worst and to bring people into a living and saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Come on now, this is, this is real. And some of you right now, I can see your face, but you're like, I don't know about this preacher either. I, should, I told you, you're elbowing your wife, and you're going, I told you, woman, we shouldn't have come here. <laughs> Listen, this is the reality of what Jesus said. He said, I came for the sick. I came for those who need a doctor. I didn't come here to just play some stinking religious game. Do you think he would have died on the cross if he wanted us all to dress up, clean up, wash our face, make ourselves smell better, walk through the door, play a game, walk out the door, and nothing ever changed? No. He died so that we could see the reality of God's heart and we could offer that to other people. That is why he came. That is why he died. That's what we're here for. Now, the other side of this is, listen, Jesus says this in verse 11. He says, she says, no one, sir, no one condemns me. He says, neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. And see, here's the thing. Some of you out there were amening like the, the grace side. And now I'm going to talk about the truth side. And you're like, yeah, come on now. Because that's where you're at. And, and, and the cool thing about it is John 1.14 says that Jesus came full of grace and truth. Right? But the problem for the church is we don't like to live in this place. If there's a spectrum of grace on this end and truth on this end, we want to go to one side or the other. Well, it's all grace. Well, anything goes, you know, we're just accept you how you are. And then on this side over here, it's all truth. Well, it's truth and you're going to hell and da 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 And there's some place where the church has to exist that we are willing to preach the truth and trust in the grace of God. It's not an either or. Is it grace or is it truth? Yes. Right? 
That's what the Bible teaches. And so he says, listen, lady, you need to go on and and, and leave your life of sin. But the truth for most Christians is we love our sin so much. We love ourselves so much that we won't leave it to follow God. He has extended his hand of grace and says, here it is, the forgiveness that you don't deserve, the forgiveness that, that, that you've been offered, the, 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 the forgiveness of the God of the universe who is perfect in every way. And yet we go, okay, thank you so much, but I'm not giving this up for it. I'm not going to leave this to go follow. And some of us walk in week after week and day after day, and we constantly live in something that we know is not right, and we lean on grace like a crutch saying, well, God understands. And one of the most common things I hear is, well, God made me this way. He gave me these feelings. He gave me this lust. He gave me this, this, this desire. He gave me all of these things. Well, maybe that's why the Bible says we need to be born again. If you think you were born, get born again. Let the spirit of God begin to recreate you, begin to change you on the inside. Because whether you're dealing with homosexuality, whether you're dealing with adultery, whether you're dealing with lust and pornography, or whether you just like to gossip and run your mouth all over town, you're on the same plane. Trust me in that. And we need to get to a point where we're willing to let Jesus shape our heart and change our lives. So we got to get to this place where where we're we're willing, following after Jesus is worth leaving my life of sin. This woman knew she should have been dead. According to the Jewish law, they had every right to stone her. And Jesus offers her life. Jesus offers her forgiveness. Man, we ought to live out of that gratitude because the thing that that so many of us forget and maybe the thing that some of us haven't realized is we deserve the same fate as that adulterous woman. We deserve death. And Jesus offers us life. Jesus himself said, he who is forgiven much, loves much. We ought to love God with all our hearts simply because he saved our souls from damnation. He has offered us abundant life right here where we are today. And some of us right here, right now, right where you sit right now, you know there are things that are not right in your life. And yet you continue to live in it anyway, sticking your nose up at God, giving him the middle finger, and going your own way. And we need to recognize that the gospel is grace and truth. The gospel is so that we can come to know him. We can live in a relationship with him so that we can be transformed. And I can promise you this, if you will give your life heart and soul, everything to him, you will not regret it. You will not regret it. I say it all the time and maybe one day everybody's going to hear it, but you will not get to the end of your life, be sitting there in a rocking chair and go, well, I wish I hadn't lived for God all these years. Think about it like this. Those of you who have children, maybe those of you who have a best friend, maybe those of you who think about your parents, put somebody in this picture. Think about this. How many of you would, would want your child to grow up living for God. You say, yeah, man, that, that, I mean, who wouldn't, right? Because you, and, but see, here's why we think about it, because then they won't drink, they won't have sex until they're married, they won't, but, but we, that's what we want for them, right? We want them to live for God, but why don't we apply that to ourselves? Do you not love yourself as much as you love your child? You want the best for them, and we recognize the best is that they would grow up living for God. But then why, how do we apply a different standard to ourselves? We need to come to a point where we recognize that's the best way to live. And as the church, we've got to get to a place where we recognize this. It is unconditional love and it is uncompromised truth. And we stand on both of those. And we do not back away from those. And those two things are non-negotiables for us. Listen to Mark chapter 2. 
Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, says this. A few days later, when Jesus entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that, so many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and, and after digging through it, lowered the man, the mat, and the paralyzed man that the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, "Son, your sins are forgiven." Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they, they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth for, to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Listen, can you imagine what's going through the minds of these men carrying this paralytic to Jesus? Can you imagine what they had to be thinking? I mean, you know there was part of them that was excited. Man, they say this guy can heal. They say this guy is the real deal. I can't wait to get Bob over there to, to see Jesus, you know. And then they get there, and it's full. And they're like, okay, what do we do? We got to get this guy to Jesus. And so they climb up on the roof, and they're digging through the roof, right? And they dig through, and they get it where they can lower this man down to Jesus. And can you imagine their thoughts in their head? What if this doesn't pan out? What if this doesn't work? I mean, you know, they had to be having some of those thoughts. I mean, they're tearing up some guy's roof. Now, not only did their buddy, not Bob, not get healed, but then they torn up somebody's roof. But there was something in them that just said, if I can get him to Jesus, this man who was paralyzed, if I can get him to Jesus, Jesus will heal him. What amazing faith to tear up somebody's house just to get him to Jesus. You come and start tearing up my roof, I'm, I'm going to have a problem with that. But they've got so much faith. They're, 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 they're doing whatever it takes to get them to Jesus. And my question to you today is, do we have that kind of faith? Because the non-negotiable of this church is we are going to trust the Holy Spirit to change lives and to revolutionize people and to change hearts and to bring them into the kingdom of God. If we don't have the faith that God will do that, then we are in trouble. Because you and I can change no one. So the question, do we really believe what we say we believe? Does it not make sense if we read the Bible that if we will point people to Jesus, if we will bring them into a relationship with Jesus, if we will get them pressing into the cross, if we will get them pressing into the word of God, if we'll get them pressing in to, to God the Father through prayer and the word in all these ways, does it not make sense that they would be transformed into the image of Christ? If this is true, then Yes that the Holy Spirit will work in them as they abide in Christ and it will transform them. Listen, it is to conform them into the image of Jesus, not the mold that you want to put them in. It's not my mold, it's not your mold, it's God's mold. And as we press into him, he begins to change our heart and our heart begins to change our actions. And that is what we have to do. Not long after we started the church, it was probably actually about a year ago, um, I want to say it was before we had knocked down the walls. Um, and, and so we, we were... We had our service and we prayed and everything was good. And then I walked through the doors of, of uh, going into the fellowship area. And, and I'm walking in there and I see this man, uh, probably 70 years old, gray hair. I, I said that today and I was talking about him kind of getting older and, and being towards the end of his life. And I had a guy at a breakfast thing I did today got offended because he was like, 
70, so I'm about to die. And I was like, man, all I'm going to say is you're probably halfway there, okay? You're probably not going to double up what you got right now. And, and so anyway, you know, he kind of took offense to it. But, but seriously, this guy's about 70 years old. Um, comes up to me, gray hair. And he comes up and, and he just gives me a huge hug. I mean, I'm walking like this. I look up and there's this guy like this. <laughs> and that was, that was awkward enough, right? I'm just like, and it's one of those things where they're just hugging and, and you're like, this is going way too long. You know, and so I'm kind of like this. I'm kind of doing the flat. I didn't know what to do with my arms. It was really weird. I was kind of like pat and, and shake his head and fix his hair. I didn't know what to do. Do I kiss him on the cheek? I didn't know what, what to do with him. And so I just kind of was like, and so then he backs up and he grabs me by the shoulders and he looks at me and he says, I'm gay. It's like, how about that introduction? <laughs> well, nice to meet you. I didn't know, yeah, and so I'm sitting there and I'm like, wow. And, and, and so somewhere, I didn't have time to think, but somewhere from inside, I said, God loves you. And he said, I know, I know God doesn't make trash, but I've been suicidal for two months. He said, I've been thinking about killing myself. He said, I've been on the verge for two months and today's the first day I've had hope in a long time. He said, thank you. I was like, man, you're welcome. I was like, you know, God can, God can do anything you want him to do. He, if you open your heart to him, he, he can move and he can rearrange and he can change. And he, can, and he said, I know. And, and thank you for offering me hope today through Jesus. And you know what? That guy kept coming back. He got, every Sunday he was here, he got involved in a connect group, one of our small groups. He got with a bunch of other guys and they started talking about the word. And I'm going to tell you something about this guy that he would tell you himself. He was bitter. He was bitter. He had, got, he had been married. He got separated from his wife. He was a bitter man. I mean, he, he, he would just fight you or like not fight, like punch you, but he would, he would argue with you just to argue. He was just bitter. And he started getting plugged into this group and, and he, he started to, um, hearing the word and they started sharing the word and they'd argue the word and they were just pressing into God and he'd come and he'd come to worship and, and all of these things. And I want to tell you, a miracle took place in this guy's life. He is now back living with his wife. Amen. He walked into my office one day and he, he, he sits down and he says, man, I don't know what's going on. I was like, I don't either, tell me. I didn't know if he thought I was a prophet, like I was going to be able to tell him what he was doing. But I was like, I don't, what, what's going on? He's like, I don't know. He's like, I, I find myself this morning at the Christian bookstore and I'm buying my wife a Bible. He's like, what's wrong with me? <laughs> I was like, well, I'm nothing. I think that's pretty good. And then he goes, and then I find myself buying this, this cross necklace. What's going on? I was like, I don't know, man. It sounds good, like good stuff to me. And he says, and then I go get my hair cut and I'm sitting in the chair letting the lady cut my hair. And, and she's cutting my hair and I find myself telling her about Christ. Brandon, what the is going on? I said, man, it sounds like God's working in your life to me. It sounds like God is taking some things and he is shaking them up and he has rearranged some things in your life. And it is amazing to hear that. This guy moves, he, he doesn't go to church, he moves back with his wife. He's living for God. But can you imagine the difference? If I had not trusted in the power of the Holy Spirit to move in this man's heart, to move in this man's life. See, you need to understand something. We will never be a church that condones sin. But we'll also never be a church that tells people that the power of God is not enough to change them. 
How can I know what God's doing in the heart of somebody who sits in these chairs every day? Because truth be known, would you want the veil lifted off of your life so that everybody could see what goes on with you? If everybody could hear every thought you have, everything you look at, every, everything you see on the internet, do you really want the veil lifted so that people know what's going on? And somebody's going, well, yeah, you could look at my life. You're self-righteous. That's all I'm going to say. And you are deceived. And you are deceived. Because spiritually, every one of us are like this paralytic who is helpless apart from the healing touch of Jesus Christ. We need to recognize this and understand this. That the power of God, if he is the God of the universe, is able to save the worst of the worst. Is able to heal the, the most brokenhearted. And we've got to trust in that. So the third thing that we will be about is we will be about trusting the power of the Holy Spirit to change lives and to begin to move in people's hearts. Last thing I want to tell you, if you look at Matthew 25, the last scripture we're going to read today, I think maybe one more, but this is the last thing we're going to talk about. I'm really excited. If, if, if you're new here, you came for a good month. We've got all kinds of fun, awesome stuff, like exciting things coming on. This is the busiest month we've ever had, but it is good stuff. It's not just good stuff, it's God stuff. Uh, the second service, the vision class, and I... I am pumped about everything that's going on this month. And I want to share something with you in just a moment that, that is probably the peak and, and the, the, uh, the, the crowning um, event that we'll have here in the month of August. But first we're going to read Matthew 25, 14 through 30. It says, again, it will be, this is Jesus talking, teaching. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the, one man, then the man who had received the ta- one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you had not sown and gathering where you had not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then, you, have sh- you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it, it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him and throw, and throw that worthless servant outside in the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In this parable, a talent represents more than $1,000, right, in their day. It would have been like, like Jesus giving $5,000, $2,000, $1,000, and trusting them to go and invest it in something else. The last thing, listen, that we will not... We will not do. We will not play it safe. We will not dig a hole and put what God has entrusted us with into that hole. 
God has given us very, very much. In fact, listen, the reason I know God's not done here after a year and a half and that this is it for us, this is all we're going to do for the kingdom of God is not because of me. Listen, if you're going to build a church on me, we're in trouble. It's not because of our worship team. We can find people that that love Jesus and that play good music. We can have people preach. And we're blessed to have so many preachers in here that that I literally can take Sundays off and we don't miss a beat. The reason that I know God is not done here is because of the people he's sending here. He has given us, this is talent speaking of money. He has given us so much talent and gifting in this church that I know he is not done. There are people to be reached. There are lives to be changed. There are hearts to be, to be brought to Jesus. And I am not willing to dig a hole and put you in the sand. I'm not willing to take the, the, the fruit that we have had and, and the seed that's in that fruit and, and just throw it away. Because we're going to be held accountable for what we do. And so many of you, if you're here and this is your home church and this is where you belong, God has put you here so that you can make a difference in the kingdom of God. It's not just to sit here and soak up the AC, which I don't know about you, but it don't feel like it's working too good to me today. But, but it's, not, it's bigger than that. How many of you want to be a part of something that's bigger than you are? If you didn't raise your hand, we have counseling for you because we all want to be in part of something that is bigger than ourselves. And God has entrusted us with so many people, with so many gifts and so many things that they can do that, that sometimes, honestly, I sit back and I go, wow, I get overwhelmed. I'm like, God, we've got so much potential. We've got so much that we can do here. We've got so much opportunity. And I look around and I see people sitting here today that I know, and that some of you that I don't even know, maybe I've never met. And I know that God has put stuff in you that he needs to use in his kingdom if we're going to come to the fullness of what he wants to see happen. Because see, here's the thing. When we had seven people, it, it was easy to take chances, right? I mean, you know, you do something, people don't like it, and all of a sudden seven people leave. You're like, well, oh well, we'll start over right? There's seven people. But see, you start getting a couple hundred people. You start getting 250 people. The church starts growing. And what ends up happening is the cries on the inside become greater than the cries on the outside. How many churches have you seen this happen to? We cannot get to a point where we just want to maintain. There are too many people who don't know Jesus. There are too many people who are deceived in the world. There's too many college students that are going to be half a mile away from us that need to know the love of Christ that we can't settle. We can't bury our talents in the ground and just sit until Jesus comes back. I refuse to do that. I will not pastor a church that is stagnant. I will not. We are going to continue to press into God and believe that God is going to use us in amazing and awesome ways. And you get to be a part of that. Is that not awesome? That God has called us. He has united us under the headship of Jesus so that we can all do what God created us to do in the body so that other people come to know him. And so I want to announce something to you real quick. I got chill bumps, man. This is going to be so awesome. This is going to be so good. Man, um, we debated on announcing this next week, but I couldn't stand it. I had to tell you today. And so here's what we're going to do. I've never been a part of this before, and I've never even heard of it being done around here. But 
You may have. If you have, good. Don't ruin my little fantasy world of thinking that we're doing something that's never been done. But this is what we're doing. August the 29th, we're going to start two services next week. We'll have a 9 and a 1045. August the 29th, we're asking everybody to meet here at 830. That is Sunday morning, August the 29th. We're asking you to be here at 830 in the morning. We're going to have some different... um, um, table set up. And on each table, there's going to be a little card that's going to tell you um, uh, something about a team that's going to go out in the community. By nine o'clock, we're sending you out to go into our community and share the love of Jesus. We're not having a worship service that day. We're going to literally go out of this building and take the gospel to people. Are y'all excited about that? Isn't that awesome? That is going to be so cool. And we're going, listen, we typically have been having a couple hundred people on Sunday, the last few Sundays. And with students coming back, I feel like we'll have that, right? If a hundred show up, man, I am going to be some kind of disappointed. Because this people is where the rubber meets the road. If we're not willing to do this, then again, we ought to just shut the doors and go home because as soon as the gospel becomes about what happens in here and what happens in here only we have lost the mission so we're going to be here at 8 30 don't worry we're going to have things for everybody if you're sitting there going well, i can't go out and do this and heat we're going to have stuff you can do in the ac we're going to have possibilities for you to go and clean houses or clean rooms for people who can't do it themselves we're going to go listen one of the things we're going to do we're actually going to try to put a roof on a house that day isn't that awesome? It's going to be so, so cool. I mean, I really, and truthfully, I can't wait. And, and so we're going to ask you that day to give three to five hours, depending on your project. We're going to do landscape. We're going to do construction work. We're going to send people, I hope, to the summit to help um, some of the folks there who maybe can't clean their rooms. We're going to have stuff for our zero through five-year-olds. We're going to have programs for them and a schedule for them to go through different things. They're going to be well taken care of. They're going to have a good time. We're going to send our first through fifth graders. First, they're going to come in here. They're going to have some worship going on. Then they're going to get together and make some crafts with the people at Gentilly Gardens. They're going to come back here. They're going to have lunch. And then they're going to Little Ox Creek. And they're going to play with the kids over there that we've been loving on now for several, several months. So everybody has something that they are going to do. Listen, I'm excited about this for one reason, or several reasons. One in particular, you get to see a tangible expression of what we've been talking about for a year and a half. And somebody said, well, what about guests? What if guests come? I think it's a great day for guests to come. We'll find something for them to do. But the thing that I believe about this is that that is a great day for them to come because they will see our heart immediately. And if that's not what they're in it for, then I don't mean it's ugly. There's a bunch of churches in Bullock County. But we are going to carry the gospel into a world that is dying because of it. Because they need to know the, the, the life-giving power of Jesus Christ. And we're going to share this, and we're going to go unapologetically. And listen, if anybody has a problem with us working on the Sabbath, we will pray for you. Because the Sabbath was actually on Saturday, first of all. And, and we're going to go, Jesus healed on, listen, the ox is in the ditch, okay? We are going to go and tell people about Jesus. I don't think Jesus is up there with his arms crossed and his lips poked out going, I can't believe they're telling people about me on Sunday. I don't think that's happening. And so we are going to go and tell people about the love of Christ. Amen. Thank you, Joe. 
It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have a good time. And, and I hope you'll be here at 8.30 because we're lining up projects like crazy. We're going to go and we're going to hit the community and tell people about the love of Jesus. We're not going to play it safe. I want to read you one more scripture and we're getting out of here. I read part of it in, um, in communion today. But I want to continue that. It was, Jesus was saying that he was the, the, the bread of life. And, and that um, you know, you had to, he had to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Well, this freaked a lot of people out. And in verse 60, it says, On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one comes to the Father unless comes to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And it goes on to say that he turns and he looks at the twelve and he says, do you want to go too? And Peter replies, listen, you're the one who has the truth. Where are we going to go? I realize this. Uh, today's message and the things we talked about for some people, it, this whole thing of going mobile and getting outside the church and, and this thing of taking a Sunday and we're not doing worship services in here, we're taking it out to the community. For some of you, it may be that moment of eat my flesh and drink my blood. It may be that moment where you go, wait a minute, this is a little bit more than what we got into this for. If it is, that's fine. But I want to tell you, this is where the rubber literally meets. This is where we begin to put what we say in practice. This is where it becomes real and tangible to a world that is broken and needs to know the hope of Christ. And so this is what I want to tell you. We are going. And we are not going to stop going. And I pray to God that by the power of his Holy Spirit, 10 years from now, we'll still be going. And that we'll be carrying the light of hope, the light of truth to the world and to this community. So I want to invite you to come out that day. I want to invite you to join us in loving the unlovable, to join us in standing on the truth of God, and to join us in trusting the Holy Spirit to change hearts and lives. How many of you have been changed by the, the heart, the spirit of God? So many of us in here today, how dare us to think that he can't do it for somebody else? And so that's where we are today. We're going mobile. The church is going outside the walls of the church. And, and, and we're, we're going to continue to do this after the 29th. I, I believe it's going to energize us. I believe it's going to be an awesome thing that we're going to go out and begin to do things in the name of Jesus to show people the heart of God.